0: If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning. I hope you'll follow along in... In the reading of God's Word this morning, we'll be several places beginning in Ephesians 5. Uh, The passages will be up on the screen, but I would encourage you to open your copy of God's Word. Uh, If you have a physical copy, you can flip pages. If you've got a digital copy, you can do a search and scroll, whatever it is. I would encourage you to follow along with the reading of God's Word this morning as we come to our, our final message in our series called Essential Disciplines. Now, we have been studying several different disciplines that God wants us to do in order to grow in our faith. And we began way back a few weeks ago with the the study of Scripture, the, the discipline that says we must be in God's Word. And really, all the other disciplines are learned from our study of Scripture. I have uh, sometimes loosely, sometimes very closely been following a book called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. Now, I would encourage you, if you have not uh, looked into that book, you can get that title again for me after the service or or look back at this message. I would encourage you to read it. I know there's at least one of you who has come and said, I bought the book and it's fantastic. It really has a lot of good biblical insights on what we should be doing to be growing in our faith in Christ. And so this morning, we get to the the principle of stewardship. Now, I know every time you hear the word stewardship, you kind of exhale a little bit, and all right, we're getting another preacher's asking for money sermon. And if you've been here long enough, you know that's not how we function at First Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, our message on stewardship this morning is going to very briefly touch ties as a matter of fact I'm going to do it right here at the beginning of the message and then we're going to actually talk about a different form of stewardship. There is certainly an aspect to being a good steward of what God has given you financially. I'm not preaching a sermon on this this morning because just about 2 months ago I preached a sermon called Why Should I Give? And it is an important discipline that we have to give generously. You can look back at that sermon on our our website. You can go to fbcrobinson.com slash messages. Uh, Scroll down to the March 24th, 2019 message if you want to hear that. I would encourage you to do that, especially if you weren't here for that Sunday, uh, to ask the question and hear the answer from God's word, why should I give? Also on Wednesday nights, we just, before Bible school, completed a series called The Treasure Principle. You can find that on Right Now Media by Randy Alcorn. A great, uh, a great study on, on not just why should we give, but what are the foundational beliefs and principles behind giving generously. I would encourage you to do that as well. If you don't have a Right Now Media subscription, you, know, you can do that. Sign up for free through our website. Again, fbcrobinson.com slash right now. So if you have questions about accessing those, you can come and see me after the service. I would love to help you find those and get plugged in to to be able to see what God wants you to do with your money. The, The crux for this message, though, is not necessarily on what God wants us to be good stewards of with our finances. There's really something much more valuable that we are very poor stewards of. Something more valuable than the money in your pocket or in your bank account? Something more valuable than the the collection of things and material items that you have? Think for a moment about the things that cause you the most stress in life. Maybe it is having something to do with finances. Maybe it's you, you don't have enough in your account before the next paycheck comes in. Or maybe it's other stressors, such as uh, that time you were running late to something and, and you, you wanted to be there on time, but you're behind and you're, you're stressed out about getting there in an appropriate time. Maybe it has to do with family. Maybe it has to do with providing for your family. Or maybe it has to do with, with spending time with your family. I just don't have enough time together with my family. Or there's a strained relationship because of a lack of time spent with my family. Maybe your biggest stressors have to do with, with, with work and, and related to, to whether you're going to get an increase in pay or whether you're going to be let go. Maybe your biggest stressor has to do with the hours you're putting in or, or whether you're putting enough in or whether you need more hours. And, and there are a million different things we can be stressed about. But have you noticed that most of our stresses have an underlying uh, stress is, is either money, which we dealt with before, or time. Think about how much our lack of time causes us stress. Boy, if there was only, you're pointing fingers, I don't know if it's a kid or a wife, I'm not going to call you out, I wonder if we could just have 25 hours in a day, if that would fix our problem. Or what if we just combine days, and instead of having a 24-hour day, what if we could have a 48-hour day? That would fix our problem with time, Right? The problem is not that there aren't enough hours in the day. We know a good, gracious, perfect God gave us the exact amount of time in a day we need. The problem is not with how much time we have. The problem is how we use our time. Are we good stewards of what God has blessed us with? And what we find is most of us are very poor stewards of our time. Ephesians chapter five verses fifteen and sixteen gives us a, a, a encouragement and then a warning. Our calling is this: Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as uh, not as unwise, but as wise. There's your encouragement. There's your this is what you need to do: walk in a wise manner. And then here's the warning: make the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are. Evil. The writer of Ephesians, Paul, is telling us we must make the best use of our time. We must make wise decisions, not unwise decisions. It's really important that we look at the 24 hours we have in a day. And we allot appropriately the time we need to do the things God has called us to do. This morning, I wonder if we can ask... Am I a good steward of the time God has given me? Am I appropriately using the blessing of 24 hours in a day to serve God the way He calls me to serve Him? If you have your bullets in, we've got a few notes that you can jot down in there. We'll put them up on the screen as well. And there's really three principles I want to look at this morning. And the first is this. We must use time wisely because the days are evil. We read that just a moment ago. We must use time wisely because the days are evil. In this study of essential disciplines, we have said over and over again, there's a churchy phrase that you hear. There's something that sounds really good. You pull it out of scripture and everybody goes, amen, the days are evil. And we walk away having no idea what is meant by the days are evil. Without an answer, we're not, this isn't going to be an interactive thing, but I want you to ask yourself the question, what does it mean that the days are evil? Didn't we just say that God has blessed us with a 24-hour day, a seven-day week. Didn't he bless us with days? But what does Paul mean? The days are evil. As we read Ephesians 5, 15, and 16, we certainly understand that there's some truth. And we can even sense there seems something that feels evil about the days. But what does that mean? What is this warning, and where is it coming from? What the original context is, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, and they are an extremely persecuted people. Many of them are being arrested and beaten for their faith. Some of them, even martyrs, killed for their faith. They understand that the times they are living with are evil times. There is severe persecution going on among them. It's causing some problems and some issues that Paul is writing to them about, but the encouragement is keep the faith, make wise decisions. In the midst of the evil days, be careful how you walk. I don't think the days are any less evil for us today than they were in Paul's time. It's a different kind of evil, isn't it? I don't know the last time. I can't remember the last time I was beaten for my faith. I remember the last time I was beaten for my disobedience? I, I can remember that pretty clearly as a kid. Deserved every single one of those. But I don't remember being persecuted for my faith the way the people in Ephesians, in Ephesus, would have been persecuted for their faith. So, how are the days evil for us? What does that mean for you and I? The days are evil. Make wise decisions because the days, the times, are evil. Well, there are many aspects that cause our days to be evil, and it really begins with us, doesn't it? I think we can insert in there make wise decisions because you have a natural inclination to slip into. Evil thoughts and desires So as we begin looking at this idea, make wise decisions with your time, make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. We have to start inwardly with ourselves. Our own thoughts are evil. That's why Colossians 3:2 tells us to set our mind on things above. Not on things of this world, because if we don't set our mind on things above, if we're not intentionally thinking about godly things, if we're not purposefully trying to, to wrap our mind around the things of God, we will naturally slide into evil thoughts. Now that looks different for many people. For some of you, evil thoughts seems to be uh, something that is uh, lustful or perverted. For other people, evil thoughts is just selfishness and greed. There are some whose evil thoughts are, are simply uh, turn inward to ourselves instead of looking at others. But without a proper focus on the things above, the things of God, our natural inclination is to let our mind turn evil. It's not just our thoughts, though. As we start to think on things that are evil, our bodies begin to act on things that are evil. Our physical actions often reflect our evil thoughts, don't they? They don't stay in our head. We act on them. Well, you've heard the phrase, garbage in, garbage out. This is a biblical principle. The more trash we let pollute our mind, the more evil our actions will become. And it's subtle. Oh, it's, it's a slippery slope. It doesn't say that the days are evil as if it all of a sudden just jumped out of nowhere. No, the days have become evil because we have allowed our thoughts and our actions to slowly migrate away from the Lord. And that's reflected not just within ourselves. It's not just you. Certainly it is you. Certainly it is me. But our culture and the world as a whole is an evil and wicked culture. And I don't just mean our U.S. government. Sin nature has affected every person who has ever lived. And if there is no influence on the things above, guess where our culture naturally progresses to? Now, I listened to a podcast by a man named Al moler He's the president of the seminary where I attend. And he, he takes kind of newsworthy articles that he reads, and he, he shares from a Christian perspective what, what a biblical perspective should be on these current events. Can I tell you how sick it is to hear him have to talk about abortion every single week, usually multiple times a week? And it's become, back in the 70s, where it was, okay under certain circumstances, there may be a reason to abort a, a baby, Right? And then it it becomes into the the 90s where it was, well, abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, right? To now, it's abortion should be free for all, at all times, for any reason, even up to the last moment of birth. This is a slippery slope that we can see if we're not careful to to make wise decisions how our culture naturally slips into these, these evil thoughts, And what that turns into then is an evil thought makes evil actions with our bodies, creates an evil culture, and that paints a picture where our days are consumed with evil. That's what it means. The days are evil and wicked and perverse. The world around us naturally wants us to use our time for evil purposes. Our own thoughts begin with evil thoughts. Our actions become evil actions. Our culture becomes an evil culture so that our lives are consumed not with things of God but with things of evil. Now, what I've found is my mind doesn't naturally go to the most evil and perverse things. My days are evil because my evil thoughts and my evil actions create the culture of my family and my own bubble of evilness is not the, the most perverse things that our world would say is perverse. Instead, it's it's activities and distractions. My days are evil because I don't focus on things above. And instead, I I focus on good things that take me away from the things God's calling me to do. My days get evil because I focus too much on on trying to to work a project that God has not called me to work. My days are evil because I've invested in people and relationships that, that God has not called me to invest in. My days are evil because I spend more time on a computer or on a phone or on social media that that waste time from what God is really calling me to do. My days are evil because my thoughts and my actions and my culture around me has slipped into a place that I'm no longer doing what God wants me to do. I'm doing what I want to do. Good things, sometimes helpful things, that are not God-honoring things. Paul writes, Be careful, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, starting with your thoughts, filtering to your actions, creating the culture around you, and beware that your days can become evil. Use your time wisely, because if you do not actively discipline the stewardship of time, your days will become distracted, filled, and evil. It's important that we use our time wisely also because the time remaining is uncertain. We don't know how much time we have remaining. You know, the more scarce something is, the more valuable it is. When I was in fourth grade, I lived in Kentucky for one year with my grandmother. And at school, we had uh, these NFL pencils that we all like to collect. They sold them in the little school shop. And there were every team you could imagine that you collected. collect. Did you, anybody else collect those NFL pencils? You wanted to have all the teams. I think there were 30 teams at the time. You want to have all of them. And so you would collect as many as you could. Of course, I stockpiled Miami Dolphins pencils because I was a Miami Dolphins fan. I had like 20 of those. But I had one of just about everything, except there was one that, that nobody could get. For some reason, they never kept in stock Oakland Raider pencils. I didn't even like the Oakland Raiders. I still don't like the Oakland Raiders. But everybody wanted an Oakland Raider pencil because you couldn't find one. And so you'd barter and trade. I've got three Kansas City Chief pencils. I'll trade you for your Oakland Raider pencil. No way. You've got to throw in two Eagle pencils and four Patriot pencils to get that one. You know, it was, it was the most rare thing, and nobody even liked the Raiders. But because you couldn't find it, the price for that pencil was sky high. Oh, and if you happened to find it in the school shop and could buy it for a nickel or a dime or whatever it was, it was like the greatest day in the world. The more scarce something is, the more valuable it is. We find this with our own finances and money, don't we? The the less we have, the more we want to hold on to. I wonder if we've considered the scarcity of time. There's a finite amount of time each of us has on this earth. And we don't know how much time there is left. We like to think we have years or decades. But the truth of the matter is, no matter our age, we could have minutes or days. Our time is scarce and therefore it's valuable. The time remaining is so uncertain. That's why it's written in James chapter 4, what is your life? What is it? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Life is so brief. It's so scarce and it's so uncertain. That's what's so hard about our time is we don't know whether we have years or moments. As a child, your life goes by so slow. I can remember being a kid. I cannot wait till I'm old enough to be in middle school. Boy, then I'll be big because I'm in middle school. You get in middle school and you realize, no, I can't wait till I can be in high school. And you get to high school, and high school is not all it's cracked up to be, but you can't wait till you can get your driver's license. and You can't wait to graduate high school. And then it, you can't wait for the next milestone. Let, let's go off to college or get a job. I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to start a family. And when you're young, especially a child, things seem to go so slow. It's taking forever to get there. Are we there yet? The older you get, the faster that time goes, doesn't it? And I say that as someone in my mid 30s. I can't imagine how fast time's gonna go for someone like, I won't say their names, okay? <laughs> the truth is, though, as life progresses, our life, our finite life, becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. And we realize the mist of our life. Before you know it, you look back and you don't know where the time has gone. You're not sure whether you have more time or less time. Our life simply is is not something that we're given with with an expiration date. Or we have an expiration date, but we don't know when that time will be. That's why... Proverbs tells us, don't boast about tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1, for you do not know what a day may bring. The writer of Proverbs tells us, don't be so focused on what's going to happen in the next moments that you miss out to be good stewards of the time you're given today. The time remaining is uncertain. By the way, this doesn't mean not to have long-term plans. It doesn't mean don't make sure you're... To put aside money for retirement and to to plan for college education. It doesn't mean not to have plans. What it means is don't put your ultimate faith in your long-term plan. Don't put all your trust in a retirement fund. Don't put all of your trust in a job that you assume will be there. If you knew the dollar in your wallet was your last dollar, would you spend it on something superfluous. I have a bad habit when I go to Walmart and Callie rats me out, so um, thanks, Callie. Every time I go to Walmart, I'm a sucker for the the candy at the checkout. I've actually found that if you go down the candy aisle, here's a pro tip next time you go to Walmart, you can spend the same dollar you'd spend at the checkout for a candy bar and you can get a whole bag of candy. So sometimes I do that, you know. Uh, If I had just one dollar left, though, and I knew this was my last dollar, I can promise you I am not spending it on checkout candy. The same question can be asked since the Bible tells us we're uncertain of our time remaining. If you knew this day was your last, would you spend it superfluously? If you knew this was all you had, would you invest your time on checkout candy? The time we have remaining is Uncertain. It is so important that we invest our time in the things that have value, the things that are important. Our last principle is a sad truth. Lost time cannot be regained. Lost time cannot be regained. There are many things we lose that we can replace, even money. Money. There there are many things that we we can lose sight of, that we can find. But when time is gone, we cannot get it back. Aside from the scoffer in the book of Proverbs, no one is rebuked stronger than the sluggard or the sloth. You can read over and over again the rebuke of someone who will not act in their time. And that's why in Proverbs 26, 13, and 14, We read, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard sits in his home and says, it's too dangerous out there, I won't take action. It's not worth the risk, I'm going to stay put. It's not worth the effort, I'm going to roll over to the other side of the bed. Many of us consider ourselves hard-working people. When it comes to managing our time, we become a sluggard or a sloth. We fail to take action on the thing God calls us to take action on simply because it's too dangerous. It's not worth the effort. It's not worth the risk. We read again in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 33 and 34, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. Notice here it's not a lot of sleep, it's a little sleep. It's just a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Just a brief moment to say it's not worth action. It's not worth taking up my time. It doesn't take much of our inactivity to see time come and go and be lost. We wonder if if our lost time can be regained, and the answer is on this earth it cannot. That's why John tells us, or Jesus tells us in John chapter 9, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Jesus gives an analogy. While the sun is up, or in his sake While the sun is present, we must get to work. While there is time to do the things God has called us to do, we must do it because there will come a time, the night will come and no longer will we be able to invest what God has called us to invest in. Lost time cannot be regained. We must be good stewards of what God has given us and invest in what is important. I started making a list of things that we should be investing in and I scrapped it from my notes because the truth is what God is calling me to invest my time in is different from what God is calling you to invest your time in. There are some very general principles that I think we can apply, but there are specific things God wants you to do that we are wasting time by being sluggards and not doing. General principles. God wants you to to serve Him in some capacity. He wants you to... Be working for His kingdom and His purposes. What that looks like for you is different from what it looks like for me. It looks different from someone else. Maybe it's a teaching role. Maybe it's a behind-the-scenes role. Maybe it's serving with children. Maybe it's serving in nursing homes. Maybe it's in full-time ministry. Maybe it's, maybe it's just as a lay person within the church. God is calling us each to something different, but God is calling you as a believer in Jesus Christ to serve Him in some capacity. Invest your time in service of God. God calls us to support our family, our spouses, and our children. I wonder how much time we have lost with our family because we've been sluggard or assumed that there would be more days. A friend of mine once told me something that has always stuck with me and, and shook me. We like to think that we have our children for 18 years before they leave the home. He said, that's not true. He said, the truth is we have only 18 Christmases with our children. 18 in the home. That's it. We have 18 birthdays with them. That's all. 18. He said, I'm not wasting one of those special times. Time lost cannot be regained. Many of you are, are beating yourselves up maybe for, for thinking of your time lost. Looking back and saying, oh, the things I could have gone, done or should have done. The things that I didn't invest in that I should have. The things that I did invest in that I shouldn't have. Can I encourage you? Don't beat yourself up about time lost. Start today investing your time in what is important. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, forget what lies behind and strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God's not calling you to look back on your life with regret on lost time. God is saying today, Will you invest your time in the things that have eternal value? The things of the kingdom of God. What is the absolute best way any person can invest their time today? Well, the best investment you can make is an eternal investment. One that says, I will trade moments of this passing life for an eternity with God. That's why we read in 2 Corinthians 6 two. behold now is the favorable time. Behold now is the day of salvation. Do you realize that whether you experience unending joy or eternal agony depends on what happens in the moments of your life just like this one? What is more precious than that time? I wonder this morning if we can stop wasting our time in disobedience to God and maybe for the first time throw our hands up and say, Lord, I need to submit myself to you and your plan. Lord, I sacrifice this life, this finite life, the time that you give me, and I give them to you in exchange for an eternity with you. I wonder this morning if we can Stop putting off the things God's calling us to and start acting today in faithfulness. Let's pray together. Father, you have given us and blessed us with so much. And Lord, it's appropriate that we thank you for blessing us with the material things that you've given us. Lord, even as our class spoke in Sunday school this morning, the poorest in our nation seem to be rich compared to many around the world. Lord, we thank you for material blessing us. But, Lord, let us not forget you've blessed us with a gift of time. Lord, we don't know how much you've blessed us with. Our time is uncertain, but but we know you've given it to us for a purpose and for a reason. And we pray that we would act, not, not sluggishly or selfishly, that we would act faithfully to do the things you call us to do. Lord, let us examine our hearts for things that waste our time for investments in our time that that don't matter or let us have our enjoyment let us have our our times to ourselves but make those the extras or make the things that are important the primary or let us invest in serving you let us invest in our families let us invest in the things you call us to lord let us invest our lives in trusting you for salvation Father, we thank you for this gift of time. and We give it back to you with the promise of an eternity that lies ahead. It's in your name we pray. Amen.